0: Hello, and welcome to Osborne-Clark's Future of Financial Services podcast. This series is inspired by our annual Future of Financial Services Week, where we explore challenges and solutions in this rapidly changing sector. My name is Cyrene Thomas, and I'm a senior knowledge lawyer in the Financial Institutions Group at Osborne-Clark. In today's episode, we're discussing the upcoming reform of the UK's consumer credit regime, specifically the Consumer Credit Act 1974, or the CCA. I'm joined by three Osborne Clark consumer finance specialists today Nikki Worden, a partner who leads the financial institutions group, Charlotte Harris, and Ben Player, who are associate directors in the team. Thanks so much for joining us today. So, I think the place to start is probably where we've got to to date. So, HM Treasury first announced its intention to reform the CCA in June of 2022. Um, Can you give us a quick rundown of what the government is proposing at this stage and where they've got to, Charlotte?
1: Yes, of course. So um, the government announced in June last year that it intended to reform the CCA, um, which will be uh, 50 years old next year. The first consultation paper was published in December uh, last year and it closed in March uh, 2023. The consultation paper sets out five principles that the government believes should underpin CCA reform and asks for views on these. And it also posed a number of questions which were designed to develop the thinking on how best to tackle reform. As I mentioned, the the, uh, consultation paper closed in March 2023 for responses. The government received 84 responses to that and published its response in July of this year. And the good news um, for industry is that the government confirmed that it will move forward with, with reforms and it's looking to move the majority of the CCA into a FISMA style model in the FCA handbook. And what it did say was that the reforms would be an ambitious overhaul of the CCA and plan to create a much more flexible approach. So The next stage is for a second consultation on more detailed proposals to follow next year. And the government appreciates the complexity of the task. And, and so it's going to take a number of years to work through um, in order to finalise everything.
2: I'm quite interested to hear that there are 84 responses. Sarian, is that a lot? Is that not very many? I'm assuming that's quite a lot, right? Yes, that's definitely a lot. I mean,
0: some consultations put out by government and authorities will get. I've seen two responses for particularly um, niche topics. So this is obviously a topic which stakeholders want their voices to be heard. Um, And I'm sure there was a great diversity of viewpoints and um, perspectives in those responses, which will certainly be giving whoever has to read through them all pause to try and integrate all those different perspectives for sure. So it sounds like um, there's definitely major reform on the horizon and we've got an industry which is highly engaged um, and keen for these proposals to be taken forward. Ben, could you um, give us a bit of a lowdown on why reform is needed so badly in this area?
3: Yeah, absolutely. There are many reasons why reform is badly needed in this area. As Charlotte's already said, the Consumer Credit Act is nearly 50 years old. It dates back to 1974 to a time when credit wasn't sold online. Payment cards were really in their infancy and there were far, far fewer and much more simplistic credit products available. And the consumer credit regime has been subject to considerable piecemeal change over time. We've had extra bits bolted on as changes to the regime were necessary. So for example, in implementing the consumer credit directive, we had changes to to the CCA regime. Um, And over time, as those uh, more complex credit products have come to market, customers are increasingly using technology when taking out those credit products. And the consumer credit regime simply hasn't kept pace with the change in the number of products, their complexity and the way in which those products are sold, it, it's no longer really fit for purpose. I think while it's fair to say that the current rules have served customers well in terms of the level of protection that they provide to customers and borrowers, those rules can often be incredibly restrictive and actually ultimately they they do stifle innovation. And so reform is going to really allow the government to address key concerns modernise the regime to make it f- for purpose now and in the future, and it will allow the, the, the government to balance all of these objectives against consumer protection considerations, particularly in light of consumer duty.
0: Great, that all absolutely makes sense. And I suppose also in our new um, post-Brexit brave new world, um, there is also the potential, albeit can be quite fraught um, to look at doing that to diverge from what what the EU is doing as well. So I suppose that might be something the government looks to capitalise on potentially in certain areas, while also balancing um, the the downsides of of diverging from from that position. Um, So, Nikki, what is the industry hoping that this reform delivers?
2: Well, it's interesting. It's the answer very much builds on uh, Ben's answer as to why reform is needed. They Mm. are hoping for flexibility. And I suppose the real challenge and the reason why the government is really sort of managing expectations and saying, oh, this is going to take years is because um, getting flexibility out of the Consumer Credit Act or built into the Consumer Credit Act, I I should say, uh, out of Consumer Credit Act reform um, is incredibly challenging. Um, The Consumer Credit Act was designed to be, if you like, a self-governing body of law. So it's got all sorts of protections for consumers built in. As Ben said, there's lots and lots of very good consumer protections in there, but they work in a very, very slam dunk way. So you don't get this document right. Agreement Mm -hmm. can't be enforced in the courts. You don't give this information. Criminal offence. Um, this is quite archaic. So you can see how that really stifles flexibility. So for example, if you're a fintech and we get this all the time uh, and you want to do something really clever and you've identified that customers, they just want to take out a loan to buy a car and se- secure their car. So, so provide their car as security. Mm-hmm. Um, unbelievably, that's not covered by the Consumer Credit Act in, in that you have to go to a different act called um, B- the Bills of Sale um, Act, and it's, it dates back to the 1800s. There are two of them. And you can't actually secure g- give your car a security to get a loan without walking to the High Court and filing your security at the High Court, which obviously makes it completely um, unscalable. So the Consumer Credit Act regime, is a, it's not just about the Consumer Credit Act. It's about lots of different consumer protections that feed into consumer credit. So the, the Treasury, HM Treasury, has to look at all of this as a whole, and work out how they can continue to strike that balance, whereby, as Ben said, you know, these consumers can get these good protections, but also which can support the market in developing products which cater to customer need. And if I just develop that a little bit further, the Consumer Credit Act created lots of categories of credit. I say lots, not that many. Um, There are, and if you don't, if the credit product that you want to launch doesn't fit into one of those categories, it's actually really hard to bring it to market Mm -hmm. um, if it's a hybrid, uh, because there are also all sorts of other provisions in there which make it really complicated if you have a multiple agreement. And uh, I mean, I won't go into all the details, but it's an incredibly onerous regime. And we have clients who are constantly shocked and horrified by actually all of the hoops they have to jump through to bring a really useful product to market. Um, just
1: building on what Nikki um, said there, there's also been an increasing prevalence of um, things like subscription models um, over the last um, five years. Um, in particular. And often firms are caught out by the archaic regime for for hire, for example, um, which is governed by the 1983 agreements regs and fell outside of the consumer credit directive reform that came in in 2011. And there's added complexities around copy agreements and sort of various documents um, and the form of agreement, which makes it difficult for firms to deliver simple and useful information to customers for what could be a relatively simple product, um, such as the ability to hire baby equipment for a a short term period, such as six months, Um, you end up with a whole raft of documentation that needs to be given, um, which doesn't fit um, the simplicity of the product.
3: And I think one of the final points to make is that in addition to the legislation and indeed all of the secondary legislation, we've got case law interpreting the consumer credit act and how it applies so we've got the concept of unenforceability under the cca regime but actually it's case law that has told us what it means for an agreement to be enforceable or what the word enforcement actually means and what it means for an agreement to be unenforceable and so now is really the time to draw all of this together and and put it in one place that is it is friendly for for those that are going to be governed by the regime as a lender but also for for borrowers to be absolutely crystal clear on what their rights are because you can have an agreement that's unenforceable technically but actually you can as a lender continue to receive payments under that agreement you can continue to demand payments Um, you can even initiate proceedings in relation to an unenforceable agreement so all of this um, will need to be picked up and clarified in cca reform and that's why it's going to take incredibly long time there are so many things to think about so it
0: sounds like the government definitely has their work cut out for them um we're obviously on the right track with this ambitious reform promised but there's obviously a lot to be delivered um, and some high expectations in the industry um, for how this might change um, how firms operate and how consumers interact with the industry and hopefully make it simpler and easier for for everyone um, to get the products that they need. So thank you very much for joining us today. Um, I am just going to leave you with one last thing. In this section, we take a brief look at a recent development you may have missed. So the financial services industry and consumer groups are buzzing with rumours that the government is considering scrapping or at least delaying plans to regulate buy now, pay later products. The Chief Executive of the FCA has said the regulator is ready to go with the plans when questioned during a recent Treasury Committee hearing, acknowledging the convenience BNPL offers to customers. However, the government is reportedly concerned the move could spark the withdrawal of interest-free buy now pay later products in the midst of a cost of living crisis and is apparently considering alternative options such as moving the buy now pay later reform to sit within the wider and, as we've just discussed, significantly slower moving CCA reform. We await the Treasury's response to the consultation on draft legislation, which closed in April this year, for more clarity on the future for the Buy Now Pay Later industry in the UK. And this is a topic that we'll be returning to in a separate episode in the future. Thanks for listening to the Future of Financial Services podcast. You could subscribe for future episodes wherever you get your podcasts.